You're like a dog with a bone with this. Oh, look, this is one of the more disgraceful episodes of the last year. Some of the coaches loved it and still hug each other every day when they get to work. (laughs) Several players... Back massage. ...are still getting counselling. Shout out to all those girl groups. How lucky we are and what power is there in the group of women? The great discussions, you know, problem solving, marital crises, golf games, golf swings. Late night glasses of wine. A little bit of that. And Ron hung up the phone and said... Ask one too many questions. <laughs> and there became a saying in the age sports department, just ask one too many questions. Eva was the kind of woman who could carry off a fine knit. And our two teams are playing each other for the first time I ever know. in the history of AFL-VFL finals. Extraordinary. First time ever. There were ships in the night, Corrie. Never have we met. Like you and me, really. Are we going to have a little wager? Yes. Absolutely. It's good. Okay. The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin for the Interchange Bench, First Class Temporary and Contract Talent. Welcome to episode 53 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. We're here courtesy of the Interchange Bench, the Interchange Bench, First Class Temporary and Contract Talent. I'm Corey Perkin. And I'm uh, Caroline Wilson. Welcome back. I was just about to introduce you and say award-winning journalist and you butted in. I'm so excited to have you back, Corrie. Oh, thanks. Hey, listen, Cara, I would like to thank Brendan and Anna for providing me with so many laughs and interesting commentary last week when I tuned in to you guys. What a terrific week to have Brendan Donoghue, one of Australia's finest political journalists, in the studio talking about what happened in Canberra the week before. I know, and we did apologise on your behalf to Julie Bishop, but I gather you wanted to um, say a personal apology again. <laughs> now that she looks like she's going to stick around, why well, they didn't vote her in, I look, do not know. Caro, uh, look, a couple of weeks ago, Potties, as you, uh, some of you have commented, I did make a comment about Julie Bishop, which I regret. And um, not this is not in my defence, but this is the setup, Caro. The night before we'd recorded our podcast, which was the whole week of the Canberra fracar and the Turnbull mutiny, I saw Julie being interviewed on TV and I thought she looked really strange. She was wearing a total poker face. She actually looked not herself. And then, of course, on the podcast the next day with you, I commented without thinking about it. So it was, you know, not a, not a good call on my part and I regret it, especially having been the target of some unkind comments about my appearance over the years. I can't believe that. And, You're oh, a babe. Oh, sh- oh for Christ's <laughs> And you sake. haven't had work, get which you rather glasses. cruelly said about Julie. <laughs> get, your, get your glasses fixed. But I did actually surprise myself, and also I surprised and offended some of our listeners, so I apologise. And in particular... Some of our favourite listeners, Well, can Corrie. I just say Dixie Marshall and her gang of Perth potties who really love Don't Shoot the Messenger, and they are in regular contact. And Dixie didn't want me to read out her very thoughtful email, Caro, but I did want to acknowledge it here. And as you know, I'm a long-time admirer of Julie Bishop. I love her work ethic, her loyalty to the party. I think the way the party has treated her has been appalling, but I hope one day the true story you know, emerges and that if Scott Morrison is um, going to appoint the next Governor-General, I hope he considers her. So that's that. On a happier I think, note... Um, just, just on that, I, the best photo of the whole thing was that great photo of all the men's feet in the red shoes, mm. which they highlighted on... Oh, they certainly highlighted it on the Insiders on the ABC on Sunday. And that comment where, she, where they said, do you think Australia will ever... The Liberal Party will ever appoint a woman leader... Um, or do you think there would be a Liberal Prime Minister? And Julie said, well, they just have to find a popular woman and she sort of arched her brows. Right. I mean, oh, she, she, is a, she is a great... Um, Labor would have been... Bill Shorten would have been so worried 
about Julie Bishop. Well, she has a so great. Worried. She's a master of the dry delivery, and um, and look, I am a huge fan, and I and I know people who have worked with her um, in her previous profession as a lawyer, and they have the utmost regard for her. So, look, keep hang in there, Julie. I did on a happier note. I did want to. Um, Thank Lindsay, also from Perth, one of our um, lovely potties. Lindsay sent you and I um, and Miss Jane and a fourth apron, pink aprons to mark uh, the BCNA, the Breast Cancer Network um, of Australia uh, field of women. And Lindsay sent these four beautiful pink aprons. Now, I did explain to Lindsay and she said she was so happy. One was meant for Lynn Swinburne. We were here a couple of weeks ago with Marg Downey and Marg said, oh, I collect aprons, so we said, here you are, have an apron. So we did. gone to a good home. So thanks, Linz, for that. And um, re-episode um, 52 and the weird things Anna told us that were donated to op shops. Oh, God, I laughed till I was sick with that. We had a great message from an Anglican priest via Facebook regarding, because Anna talked about this urn of ashes donated to her op shop. I'd be happy to inter his ashes at you know this particular church in Melbourne so that he has a nice, peaceful, last resting place. He may not have been Christian, of course, but it's a nice spot with the sounds of magpies and parrots. I mean, it, it is a bit sad to think of these ashes. Do you and know what? I, sitting there without a home, just in the op shop. I think that, I think that message from our Anglican priest listener is such a generous and warm you know, <laughs> we've passed it on to Anna from the op shop. So Sacred Heart take note. And also from Wade Kingsley, our friend, he, sa- he says, welcome back to you, Corrie. Um, he's surprised we haven't reviewed Boy Swallows Universe by Trent Dalton mm, in so our BSF I, section. So it's the best Australian fiction he's read in 10 years and he believes it's selling well. Thoughts? Yes, Wade, look, it is. And my apologies, I have not read it. I gave it to my daughter, Coco, who also walks in, works in the bookshop with me, and she has loved it. A lot of our customers have loved it. I'm reading my way through November, December books at the moment, but... I must tell you, Boy Swallows Universe is going in, well, well, I don't even know if I've got a holiday suitcase after Christmas, but let's assume I have one. It's going in there. Carol, we've got lots to get through this week, but first we have to thank our fantastic sponsors, the Interchange Bench. And remember, potties, if your business needs new players, pick them up from the Interchange Bench, the leading provider of temporary and contract talent. Just call 1-800-IBENCH or see interchangebench.com.au for talent so good you'd wish you could keep them. Call the interchange bench. And Corrie, I know we're going to talk about Adelaide and your very interesting holiday, but speaking of the interchange bench, you know what's happening this week. Yeah, you and I. The first finals. Finally, finally, the finals are starting. (laughs) And our two teams are playing each other for the first time ever in the history of AFL VFL finals. It's very extraordinary. First time ever. Ever. I just can't. I heard that the other day. I I would have thought in the late 70s we would have. Manned up against each other. Well, the Tigers weren't great in the late seventies. They came good again in the early eighties, and then Hawthorne stepped in after that. So they so weren't weren't there for the seventy eight. No, and, and Hawthorne obviously won the nineteen seventy one premiership, and then Richmond were back in the grand final seventy two, three, and four. But we're, they were we, ships in the night. Corrie. Never have we met like you and me. Really, are we going to have a little wager? Yes, absolutely. It's good. Okay, I'm feeling sick about it now. You you went to you don't often go to. I'm the Adelaide person. I know. So, but you've taken over my mantle. On a did you have a girls' golf trip? Is that I where did. You were? Yes, I did. So uh, as I, as potties understand, because I kept telling them I'm not a terribly good golfer, but I was so excited to be invited on my first ever golf girls weekend. Well, it was actually a midweek thing, but anyway, it was a lot of fun. And we went to Adelaide, Caro, and I wanted to talk about Adelaide today because I know that you are a fan. I would have to say it is my favourite city in Australia to visit. Look, we love Sydney because it's uh, glamorous. 
it's the most beautiful city in Australia, there's no doubt, and you and I have family members there so that always make, and friends, so that always makes it more fun. But Adelaide is just a city of hidden treasures. Don't you think it's beautifully laid out? Oh, it's stunning. City. Easy to get around in traffic. Really, we, you know, we, we left, um, we stayed in Glenelg, which is on the water, which, is, which was just such a beautiful venue. So uh, they were the seawall apartments. That's a plug to them. It's an old Victorian house that grew and grew and grew. So it's now a guest home, if you like, I guess, with about 20 rooms. So comfortable, so easy, inexpensive. Um, the Glenelg restaurants and cafes were just walking distance. And to get into town was, well, everything is 10 or 15 minutes in a in a taxi or a bus. Yes, so. it, it is It is a fairly small town. I mean, let, let's be brutal. They have changed the rules on that freeway where they you, you went one way up until 2 o'clock and then you went the other way after 2 o'clock. Welcome to the 21st <laughs> century. The best, you know what I love about it? I love the airport. I know you got held up in the airport, but I think it's the best designed airport in Australia. I know it's small, but if you want to go overseas, an early GLT, book your flights out of Adelaide and they're a lot cheaper. Oh, really? Yes. And so, and and I'd be very happy having a night in Adelaide before I went off on my trip. Well, you just fly there, Corrie, and change planes because unlike Sydney, where you have to get on a bus and go to the international part, the international and the local are all in the same area, and it's the best laid out airport you could ever ask for. So there's another. Yeah, well, good... we did spend a little bit too much time there on Sunday night when they couldn't find a pilot. But look, that was the only downer for the whole thing. But Carol, what I wanted to say is also um, the the power of the the group of friends. So, as particularly you know, at our age, anybody who is you know from sort of thirty five on, leave all your commitments at home, husband or wife or partner, leave the kids, leave the bills, try and leave the laptop, you know, and just get away with a bunch of girlfriends or boyfriends. And, you know, laugh a minute, you all become your kind of 16-year-old self again. What I loved about these women in particular um, was the generosity of spirit and the inclusivity. So there were, amongst the 16 of us, there were a couple of people who were, you know, best buddies and all of that. They played golf together all the time. But never once did they sort of gang up or be together and make you feel like you weren't part of the team. Everybody moved around each night at dinner, played in different groups. It was such a happy moment. And I just, you know, shout out to all those girl groups. Like what power, I mean, how lucky are we and what power is there in the group of women, the great discussions, you know, problem solving, marital crises, golf games, golf swings. Late night glasses of wine. A little bit of that. Sitting. Did you do any sitting around in your pyjamas or was that a bit no. difficult with early we all had golf? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, all had se- we all had separate rooms, so we would have had to have sat outside in the 12th degree That's probably, I mean, courtyard. it's nice of you to include us in the over 35s. <laughs> I would probably go up a bit, but um, I do love a separate room these days. I don't mind sharing. These apartments, this this place in Glenelg, gosh, I'm a fan of Glenelg. How big is that bay? It's beautiful, isn't you it? You can't see to the other yeah. side. And it's a lovely walk along that beach. No, Glenelg is a great suburb and the main drag's fantastic too. Bruce McAvaney for a while owned a uh, sporting bookshop in Glenelg that I used to go to with his wife, Annie, and that was a fantastic little treasure in the middle of There Glenelg. are lots of treasures, Cara. You put us on to... Um, I think it was you, Afrikola on the east. Oh, no, you I think, thought you had. No, right. I didn't. But yeah, it, but you put the, – the girls went to that hotel bar that you said, the Mayfair. The Mayfair, yeah, yeah. a couple of them went there. Best hotel in Adelaide. One of the best hotels in Australia. When I noticed the recent Gourmet Traveller has a – it's won one of their awards. Well, they love. it. Oh, the it. best bed. The best – and you know what? It is the best bed you'll ever sleep in, Corrie. Oh, really? Unbelievable bed. Well, that's always a good tip. Uh, well, a couple of the girls got there earlier on the Tuesday and they sort of went straight to the <laughs> drink something. Bar. But, but that night we had dinner at 
Africola, so A-F-R-I-C-O-L-A. It's on East Terrace in the CBD. The South African-born, French-trained and Adelaide-based chef Duncan Velgmond, I think that's how you would pronounce his name in Afrikaans. Gee, what a find that was. Great food. Um, and we also had a fabulous meal at Mediterranean, which is in Glen Elg South. So love Adelaide. Um, but, you know, interesting with the footy, isn't it? Because a few people, bus drivers and so on, I said, oh, who do you break for? You know, or how do you think Adelaide or what's happening with Adelaide or whatever? Gosh, it's a divided city, isn't it? You well, want to break for one team or the other. Well, if you don't barrack for the Crows, you're pretty much on the outer. Port Adelaide is a much smaller club, although a, a club with enormous tradition and a, a proud heritage. And um, How far is Port Adelaide from the CBD? Oh, well, well they're... they're it's a long way. Uh, their, their, their headquarters is in a street called Broham Place, and it's not too far from the airport, like anything. But so Adelaide's based at Amy Stadium, which is in Westlakes, which is a much worse, I think, worse area to get to. And now that, um, and, and they spent a lot of money fixing it up as a footy facility. And then, of course, they moved to the Adelaide Oval, which was the best thing. Andrew Demetriou still on, on his last press conference said it was his greatest achievement getting that deal done with cricket, with South Australian cricket and of course some um, the South Australian government. I mean that was a a deal fraught with old old wounds and it was it was Waverley Park times ten. Anyway, um, so they're both a long way away from the CBD, but they both play their games at Adelaide Oval, which is the most beautiful stadium in the country, the best renovated. It's You have to go to a football game there one day. It is just brilliant. And that area of central Adelaide, now the clubs have moved there. The town's been lit up. Of course, both Adelaide was in the grand final last year. Port Adelaide was in the finals. Everybody assumed they would be again this year. Mm, and Port so Adelaide, be their year for two months teams. ago, was in the top four. So what's happened? What's well, happened on the footy scene with these well, two clubs? Port Adelaide just had a downward turn in the last six weeks and it, there's obviously problems there and some of their really good players are getting older now. They recruited some big names, none of, the, none of who really proved to be what they hoped to be. Now they're going to lose one of their best players, Jared Polek, because they probably paid the former Brisbane captain Tom Rockliffe too much to come over. Jack Watts, of course played in that last Melbourne game last year where they just missed the finals. The coach, Simon Goodwin, cracked it and he was out the door. <laughs> he went to Port Adelaide. But the Adelaide Crows is the camp story, a, a, a camp that You're club... like a dog with a bone with this story. Oh, look, this is one of the more disgraceful episodes of the last year. They, they lost the grand final that every, the whole town thought they would win. The coaches in the footy department decided the players were a bit weak and they'd better toughen them up with a Mankind Project, it was called. The Mankind Project. It, oh, sorry, it, the, the what? The Mankind Project. It was Man a camp put on be kind by to man. a group of consultants called Collective Minds. Some of the coaches loved it and still hug each other every day when they get to work. <laughs> Several players Back massage. are still getting counselling. Fluffy slippers. Um, the AFL have been very slack in not really investigating it properly. There's a doctor's report, just like Essendon, that no one has seen. I mean, the footy boss got it and shelved it, in my view. It finally went to the board or the CEO, but I don't know when it did, but far too late. And what do we think late. it said? Oh, I think that it it's confronted some of the very damaging psychological traumas some of these guys went through at the camp. They were forced to confront deeply, deeply, deeply personal and very raw issues involved with their own personal lives, their football lives, etc. The Indigenous players were 
very upset about what happened and so were their families and it divided the club and they're still recovering. There was a posse of players who absolutely attacked the administration last week, uh, the week after their last game and the AFL is now moving in their integrity committee and, and unit and finally trying to work out exactly what went on. It's a very I sorry tell you what, saga. When you run those workshops dig, digging deep into people's emotions and past trauma and so on, you've got to be very careful. You've got to be in safe hands as you travel through that journey. Well, none of the people who ran the camp were psychologically qualified oh, or medically. Say. And they had an embarrassing press conference at the MCG last Monday when you were trotting off to Adelaide where they defended themselves and it was it said they, they ended up by saying we delivered on the brief. Well, the side that was the best team in the AFL the previous year didn't even make finals. The players are blue. I mean, there were there, there's a lot of other problems with bad injuries. It was a poor pre-season, but Adelaide had a dreadful year. So footy in Adelaide, as we speak, Corrie, is flat. But the, the ones, the things I love that I love to, Unley Park is one of the most beautiful suburbs in Adelaide and the parkland is stunning and some of the houses and you walk, that's just a straight walk from King William Street out of town away from the Botanic Carol, Gardens. The, the, houses. the Botanic Gardens are beautiful. The walk along the river, cut back through the gardens into the art gallery, one of the most beautiful well, you know, art galleries you, you in the You know, country. I'm a, an architecture slash Kevin McLeod fan, you know, so of course the houses in Glenelg and the renovations, you know, and the way people have adapted these beautiful, I don't know, is it sandstone? It's quite grey. Yep. It, it's like it's a grey sandstone. A lot of sandstone. Yeah, and it's such an unusual colour. I haven't seen it before. Um, beautiful homes with amazing renovations and everything. Oh, I could have walked Adelaide for days and days. I think we might have to go over there. I wonder yeah, well, if we've got any potties in Adelaide. Well, we should have a, say hello. A, to we us. should have a trip to the gallery. That the impressionist exhibition they've had on all year is just wonderful. Well, Penny, one of our gang, had an injury on the Friday, so she went to the gallery, said it was fantastic, and then she visited the pandas before they left. I didn't oh. know the pandas were visiting Adelaide. Yes, and and of course the National Gallery, the head of the National Gallery has been. Um, headhunted by Canberra. So he's gone to the National Gallery. Well, she had a lovely day. I wish I'd joined her. Carol, on Matters Footy, while I was away, very sadly, I could not attend the memorial service of a former colleague and a friend of ours, Ron Carter. So Ron was actually your predecessor uh, as the chief football writer of The Age with a couple of people in between, of course. I think Steve Linnell in between. I think That's, that was oh, it. Was it just Steve? Yeah. yeah. And so Ronnie was at The Age for many, many years. He was there when my dad was editor. He uh, first sort of shot to fame as a young Olympic cover when he covered the Olympics. So he covered several Olympics and did himself proud and then ended up in the sports department with the title of chief football writer, which is where I met him in 19. 19- when I came along as a very green uh, cadet and the first woman to uh, be covering footy, which Ron thought was just outrageous. But by the end of the season, he'd mellowed and we'd won him over. But um, tell me about the It was a lovely service. service. It was at the long room at the MCG. Um, I was on a panel discussing sportsmanship, actually, a really interesting panel at the other end of town at the RACV Club with James Sutherland and John Bertrand and Chris Judd. Oh, Barry James Cassidy. Sutherland of Cricket Australia. Yeah, it was really, it was very interesting. And was Chris, he open and honest? And Barry, yeah, he was. But John Bertrand was fascinating too. And Chris Judd told this fabulous story about sportsmanship to him and how he was walking off the ground with it, having hurt his shoulder in the 2006 grand final, which West Coast went on to win by a narrow margin. And he said he'll never forget that Adam Goods came up to him and said, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And he said... Any wow. other, so many other players would have, you know, bumped him, tested it out, pushed him, or had a go at him. He'll never forget that Adam Goods actually just took a second to ask if he was okay. 
Yet another yeah. reason we love Adam Goods. Exactly. So Barry Cassidy convened that. Tim Lane and I jumped in a cab, made it to Ron's service um, just after Jeff Poulter, a, another great a great and legendary footy writer, had finished speaking. It was a lot big North Melbourne flavour because Ron was a massive kangaroos man. Barry Cheatley was the MC because Ron Joseph, unfortunately, was not well and um, was having surgery. Some great speeches. Mike Sheehan spoke. Dorothy Carter spoke. Neil King, the former head of Athletics Australia, spoke. Gary Linnell flew down from Sydney for the day and gave a wonderful speech. Another former aide. Well, I think he was sports editor. He was sports editor. Briefly. Yeah. yeah. He, he would have overseen Ronnie, I think. That would but have... this, uh, I mean, there were so many stories of old-style journalism and stories involve, involving phone books and telephones and, you know, people, all the old guard remembered. But so many of us thought, gee, hasn't it changed? Uh, but it was what um, one of my favourite stories was when he rang a, a certain president who he heard was stepping down, and you know he rang, he called this guy and asked about the children and the family as he always did because he was had the utmost courtesy, and um, he asked the president whether um, he was stepping down and he denied it, and Ron hung up the phone and said, oh, "Asked one too many questions." <laughs> And there became a saying in the age sports department, just ask one too many questions. Anyway, he ended up writing the story, published the denial, and the president did resign a week later. But look, a lot of old and young faces there, people who'd come from a long way, John Craven, Ron Reid, um, Damien Barrett, some of the younger guard were there as well who'd worked with Ron, you know, when they were young like me. I mean, I never actually worked with him except for one Commonwealth Games in Auckland um, back in 1990. But no, look, it was a – like all these funerals and memorials, it, they're so nostalgic mm, about is. how journalism used and, and to not, be. And not just it, what the stories you hear, but also the crowd that's there too, you know, all, like all, all the old faces. and Bruce Matthews, Nara Matthews. Oh, no, look, you would have, I mean, I, I would have been in my it. element. <laughs> you would have loved it. And Dorothy Carter, his widow, and this is one of the great relationships, one of the great love affairs of Australian journalism. They met through journalism. He was a sports writer from Sydney and they fell in love and she sort of said, which was a really lovely thing to say in a eulogy, we didn't have that many friends. We didn't really need friends. We just made each other laugh the whole time. So anyway. They were a great pair. Karen, my favourite, I, I mean, Ronnie sort of, as I said, came around to the idea of having a woman covering football. It took him a while. Neil Mitchell, who was then sports editor of The Age, said, you're going to help Corrie, you know, or else. By the end of the season, you know, I'd covered so many, um, been sent out to Arden Street at 6pm to cover training in the in the rain. I'd, I'd sort of earned my stripes. So he was a bit of a fan. And about a week before the Brownlow medal, which is always in September, I came back from a shopping trip uptown and I had a David Jones shopping bag there and Ronnie was my desk buddy. And he said, oh, so what's in your bag? Because he loved, you know, girly talk, you know. And I said, oh, I've just bought a dress. And Curly wanted to have a look, you know. So out came this sort of – in fact, I wore it to your 21st. Out came this sort of sparkling eveningish dress. I'll never forget. I wore it to your twenty first in the bazaar, and um, and it was eighties, and of course it had a few sparkles and bling on it. I'm going to get out the old and, photos um, and have a look. And, and so Ronnie was sort of making a fuss and held it up and go, "Oh, does it look nice on me?" And all the sports department, you know, Peter McFarlane and you know Mike Coward, everybody's gathered around looking at Ronnie with this dress. And I was so embarrassed because I was only 20. And um, and he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, um, Kelvin Templeton's asked me to the Brownlow. And, of course, Kelvin Templeton had won the Brownlow medal the, way, the year before. So the whole sports department, including Neil Mitchell, kept this gag running for a week. And Ron believed that he was going to be seeing me on Brownlow <laughs> medal night. And his parting words is we were all getting ready. With Kelvin all... in his brown velvet. Well, yeah. of course, I was confined to barracks on Brownlow night because I had to edit everybody's copy, you know. And um, and as as Ronnie left, he said, 
And I said, oh, look, I'll see you there. You know, I'll be there in half an hour. And he said, well, make sure you ask, um, make sure you ask Kelvin Templeton about his crook knees. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, some, I just, I just have the, fond memory. Some of these sports journals I haven't worked with, um, and I really only see them at funerals now for 20, 30 years, but it was the same ones that were the minute the service ended who were straight to the sandwiches <laughs> and the cups and the party of, pies. And, the, and the champagne. It was it was very, very funny. Anyway, yeah, well, Vale Ron Carter, great man. And great it was man. it was it was actually it really was a celebration. I mean he wasn't well at the end and he'd gone blind and Well I saw him at Dave uh, Dave Austin's memorial service about a month before and he was not uh, he was not particularly well. He was in a wheelchair, he was going blind. I think it was, um, you know, a difficult time toward the end, especially for Dottie. But anyway, lots of love to Ron. Yeah, um, and really, you were missed. You would have enjoyed it. It's time for Crush of the Week, Corrie, and obviously this segment is sponsored by the Interchange Bench. I'm just reminding you, recruit the best staff with the Interchange Bench. Who have you got a crush on this week? I have a crush on Barack Obama because I thought he made the most elegant and moving oration at John McCain's funeral in Washington on the weekend. Did you get a chance to read uh, read it or see it or listen I saw, to it? I saw bits of it. I thought it was fantastic. So for me, the timing was really um, was really perfect here, Caro, because over the past fortnight in Australia, we have seen the very worst that politics can throw up, you know, disloyalty and skullduggery and personal ambition being put ahead of that absolute privilege and honour of, you know, public office in a democratic country. And, of course, Barack Obama... Uh, reflected upon his relationship with John McCain and what John McCain had done for the American um, community and how they really strove to find in the end a mutual respect and a friendship. So, um, you know, it was just a, it was just an amazing service in the Washington Cathedral and I think my favourite... I did fa- like the moment when George Bush handed, was it Michelle Obama? Yes, a, co- a little cough lolly. Yes, so she could <laughs> stop choking. But um, my, I think my favourite line with um, Barack Obama, he said, John understood as JFK understood, as Ronald Reagan understood, that part of what makes our country great is that our membership is based not on our bloodline, not on what we look like, what our last names are, not based on where our p- parents or grandparents come from or how recently they arrived, but on the adherence to a common creed that all of us are created equal. Oh, bravo. Although, as Donald Trump said, he prefers his army men, servicemen, not to be imprisoned. But I'll just leave you with that now. Yes, Well, well said, you know, Corrie. Well, he was not sorely missed at that memorial service, the President. Not invited. That was crush of the week, thanks to the Interchange Bench. Oh, yes, Specialist thanks, Interchange in temporary Bench. temporary staffing. I'll just say again, call 1-800-I-BENCH and you'll also find a link to the Interchange Bench in our show notes. Get in touch with them today. Do you think the Interchange Bench are wondering what the hell is this Crush of the week. One minute, Corrie's saying her dog, who's turned 16, is her crush. The next minute, it's Barack Obama. It's a mixed bag here. Yeah, well, you've done, you've done, Michelle. And I'm sure you'll cover the whole Obama family by, <laughs> by the end of the year. Okay, so um, I'm doing book this week in BSF, Caro, and I just wanted to make mention of The Life to Come by Michelle de Kretzer, which last week won the Miles Franklin Award for 2018. And this is Michelle de Kretz's second Miles Franklin uh, Award, which is a huge achievement. Do you remember there was a guy called Chris de Kretzer who yes. worked at the Sun or yep. the Herald? Yeah, or I, I, I remember him well. I wonder if they're well. related. Well, they look a bit alike. I always wonder when I see the photos. Well, Michelle came over from Sri Lanka um, as, a, as a young girl and uh, was educated in Melbourne and now lives in Sydney. 
Uh, I think she spent some time also in the UK. So this book uh, is a most interesting book. In fact, on our girls' uh, golfing weekend, we actually did it as a book club, Carol. On the Thursday night, we had drinks for an hour where we discussed. We actually had a set book and this was it. Oh, no, they had to work. They had to work for their their drink. Um, It's an unusual structure to this book, which some readers might find confusing when they first start off, but I urge you to continue. So the book is divided into five chapters or five sections. At first glance, there doesn't appear to be a common link except for this wannabe writer called Pippa, who is a bit of a pain in the ass, to be honest. She's rather self-absorbed and arrogant, and she thinks that she's going to win the Man Booker Prize. Um, she did grow up as working class Narelle, but at the age of 18 decided Narelle was never going to win a Booker Prize, so she changed her name to Pippa. And each section introduces a new character. There's George, the writer, who's trying to find his own voice and his own path. There's Ash, the Sri Lankan academic, who thinks way too much about how he is perceived, where he might fit in, and about the curiousness of Australians. There's Eva, Pippa's well-to-do mother-in-law, Sydney, I don't know whether it's North Shore or um, Eastern Suburbs, but described as Eva was the kind of woman who could carry off a fine knit. Um, There's Celeste who lives in Paris, but just living in Paris just doesn't match up to the romantic notion for her that she had of life in a Paris garret. So many characters and settings and all rich in detail. But the theme that sort of overarches this book is questions of identity, who we are, and the importance of living an authentic life rather than one you think you should leave. So most of the characters, Caro, except for a couple at the end who are true to themselves, but most of the characters are trying to be somebody they think they should be. And in some cases, it's trying to be an Aussie. In some cases, like Celeste in Paris, not an Aussie. And everybody's just being someone else. So it, it, it is a perceptive book. It is beautifully written. And it captures parts, particularly of Sydney and Sri Lanka, that are so, um, uh, I mean, you've been to Sri Lanka, I haven't, but they're so evocative. But Sydney, for example, the way she describes a Sydney terrace house it's the best I've ever read. Those scenes of the harbour, you know, the rich vegetation in Sydney Gardens. I love this book. So I recommend it highly. So that one is A Life to Come by Michelle de Kretzer. Which, which last week won the Miles Franklin Award. Did indeed. Now, Corrie, there's a new uh, – we're off we're, – we're, with screen we're going to the TV this week because this series began about three or four weeks ago. It's halfway through. It's running on the ABC Saturday nights. It's called The Split Oh, my Lord. It has just got everyone we absolutely love. It stars Nicola Walker, who we first fell in love with with Last Tango in Halifax. Our Gillian. Our Gillian. She's such a great actor and she's transformed herself into this sexy it, lawyer. It's a, it's, a, it's a family saga. It's about a family of divorce lawyers, basically. Her mother is just absolutely brilliant. Deborah Finlay is the actress. Remember her? We saw her. One of the last times we saw her was in Lady in the Band. Yeah. She was one of the smaller characters. Yeah. She's often had bit parts, but gee, she packs a punch and as the sort of slightly boozy um, head of the family law firm. Um, Brilliant she, lawyer. She does a great, she does a great job. So there are three sisters with the mother who brought them up single-handedly after the day the father went out to buy newspapers and never came back. So we find out he turns up in the first episode back in the country. He's been living in America where he's been living this lovely New England life with the American nanny that he ran off with 30 years ago. And the children start to find out about all of this. It is brutal, this show. I mean, every week there's one or two 
law, family law stories about sort of prenups or broken marriages or brilliant but the, story but the about catalyst, the French soccer star. So, so you, to, you and Anna told me about this show and I was riveted on Saturday night watching it and I've got to go back and watch the first two eps. But um, you told me that it, the kind of the catalyst or the big bang at the beginning is when Hannah, who's played by our Gillian, Nicola Walker, when Hannah defects to another law firm. So she leaves the family well, law yeah, firm. Well, yeah, she's done that, yeah. What, what – what, why, why was that? Do we know? Well, you, you, it, everything unravels slowly. Or? She had to get away and she got offered an unbelievable job by a company where one of the senior partners is an old boyfriend of hers. Oh, that's the frisson. Yep, yep. So, and they... I much prefer a husband who's played by Stephen Mangan, actually. He's gorgeous. I and, love Nathan. He's but, gorgeous. But the old boy, there's, there's clearly sexual tension going on. They did something they shouldn't have done on the eve of her wedding, which the husband still doesn't know about. The two sisters are fascinating characters as well. The middle sister's beautiful, unmarried, and works for the family firm and drinks far too much. And the younger sister's this gorgeous blonde who is sort of... They both treat as a daffy younger sister who can't really remember the father. And she is about to get married, and that's another whole story. Anyway, look, it's absolutely wonderful. Saturday nights at the moment on the Seven, ABC. 7.30, go watch. Um, and the food, Corrie, um, yes. it's a cookbook this well, week. Well, it's sort of a cookbook, Cara, with a little recipe attached. So you and I have been huge fans of Donna Hay for pretty much most of our um, married lives, Maybe really. a very mean article Good Weekend did about Was it Good Weekend or The Australian Magazine? I don't know. And they wrote about her little fat fingers. It was the meanest oh, hatchet really? job and about how she fed her stuff. That made them all eat sort of these watery salads and acted for every lunchtime and acted as though she was looking after them. Leave our Donna alone. Yeah, it so, was a mean article. So I was in the news agency, Caro, a couple of weeks ago, and I always love to buy the Donna Hay magazine. And this one is just has a white cover. It's actually a, a, a lovely whipped egg white and sugar, it looks like, about to become a meringue. And it says 100th issue. And then Donna tells us in her intro, which I always love because it's, you know, here we were cooking, you know, up a storm or whatever in the kitchen. And she says that this is her last magazine after 17 years um, and 12 fresh and light magazines. She is – they're stopping the magazine. They're going to onto new projects. So I don't know whether that means television. But look at Donna. How good does she look? I oh, know she's she looks incredible, she's and lost, I know we shouldn't talk about what she no, looks but, like. No, but she ha- she does say herself. So this is not me being mean. She does say that she went on a health kick and she lost weight. She realised that she probably had to for health reasons. But she looks really fabulous. Anyway, Caro, um, this is out for sale now. Uh, I can't see a price on it, but I'll keep. Oh yes, there is a price here. Uh, Eight dollars fifty. Recipe, there are Corrie. so many recipe. recipes in this. So this is one of my old favourites. From um, she actually said nineteen ninety five. She first put this in in her magazine. So gosh, that's how long I've been collecting it. It's grilled balsamic chicken with limes. I'm sure you've done this, Caro. So take note, potties. Here's the recipe. It's a third of a cup of balsamic vinegar, a quarter of a cup of brown light brown sugar two cloves of garlic crushed, two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, plus a bit of extra to brush um, your chicken breast with, sea salt and cracked black pepper, and four chicken breast fillets trimmed and four limes halved. Place the vinegar, sugar, garlic, oil, salt and pepper in a medium bowl. Add the chicken and set aside to marinate for five minutes. I, I usually do it at the start of the day and come home that night from work so you can keep it long. I can't. Like. This is so funny. This was a lot. It was famous in our neighbourhood. Our friend so Sally Loder used to make it. She perfected it. Never, you've never made it for me? No, it's a, it was just more, more like a middle of the week for us but, really. Yeah, but Sal used to, well, she used to do it for occasion. Didn't you do the limes on the barbecue, yeah, don't yeah, you? Yeah, that's you right. Them. Can I finish? Oh, yeah. Pre- Sorry. Preheated char grill 
small pan to medium. Remove the chicken from the marinade, reserve the marinade, and brush brush with extra oil. I guess you're brushing the chicken breast. That's not very well described there. Cook for four minutes each side or until cooked through. Place the reserved marinade in a small saucepan over a medium heat and bring to the boil. Cook for two to three minutes or until reduced and sticky. And that's what it's got to be, guys, sticky. Place the limes cut side down on the char grill and cook for a minute or until caramelized and then drizzle the sauce over the chicken and serve with the limes. With a green salad, Bob's your uncle. How good is that? So yum and so easy. Healthy too. Yes, and not fattening. Um, and it's just, look at that. They look, I mean, the photograph, it's a bit stupid, isn't it? Well, Holding that, that, it up to the microphone. That, that but they do look really delicious. That char-grilled look is only achieved on a really good barbecue or on one of those brilliant uh, Le Creuset char pans. They just, the lines, you, you can do it with zucchini, you can do it with chicken, eggplant. It does look Unbelievable! It's a really great recipe, and and kids love it too. I can vouch for that. So that's the Donna Hay. Bad sign that her magazine's issue. ending, though. Oh, it's really Martha sad. Martha Stewart's magazine ended too, and I love that magazine. Well, you see, t- things are tough in the magazine world, but um, I will. I'm going to find out where Donna's going to next, and I will report in because I'm absolutely devo that this has happened. We'll find out what happened to the magazine. It, in fact, it could segue into my grumpy. What's happened to Donna, and why have they axed her? Or maybe she just chose that path. I don't well, know. But well, what are you a, grumpy? You're well, grumpy. Today. It's funny you should say that, Corrie, because newsagent monopolies are what I'm grumpy about. Our local store, which has just recently changed hands, um, it's really difficult. If you don't get there at dawn's crack, you miss out on buying The Age and occasionally The Herald Sun. I always buy both papers every day, certainly on a Saturday, and I don't get them delivered anymore because it's a long story. We moved house, blah, blah, blah. Um, If you don't get there at dawn's crack, there's no papers. What and I've complained about it occasionally, and because there are new owners, they used to keep a copy of the age aside for certain locals. But what I didn't know was that you need a license to sell newspapers if you're not a news agent, and you need an extra license to sell extra newspapers. So you might get six of each, and there's and the Weekend Australian on Saturdays. But if you want to double that to twelve or get twenty, you need to get another license, and that costs money. I mean. Newspapers are dying, Corey. Why are we trying to restrict the sale of newspapers? Access to them. I mean, Seems some people, there are, funnily enough, some people who walk to their local shop and like to buy news mm, Old-fashioned concept, like to buy but newspapers. a nice one, Caro. I agree. You and Billy walking up to the local. I was so grumpy, so, Cara, so I went to another it? local shop to get a coffee because I was so cross. And they'd sold out of newspapers as well, and they don't have a licence for more papers either. And then in my local shopping strip, the news agency closed two years ago because the landlord decided to whack the rent up, and the lovely people who owned the news agency just couldn't afford it anymore. So our and, the, and the one a block away used to be one. a lovely big news agent, and it's now cut in half, and it's a mean, stingy little news agency. <laughs> so I know the one you mean, and oh, they, they have fluffy toys in the front. Oh, it's just window, so and you go in there and you say, "Do you have staplers?" What you know? I'm sorry. Hey, Caro, I don't understand with the news agency monopoly why they don't have a sliding scale. Like we all know that you sell more newspapers on a Saturday. Wouldn't the first lot of license allow them to have? You know, you might have six on a Monday, but you can have twelve on a. Saturday? Who knows? I'm probably opening a can of worms. There are people who know a lot more about this than me will be listening and going, doesn't she realise, blah, blah, blah. It's pretty simple. Newspapers need more outlets. And to for news agents to insist on licensing, buying license, uh, look, it's just well, crazy. My, my old friend, Graham Disney, who owns the Disney news agency down in Hampton Street, Hampton, if you're listening to us, can you please ring in and explain what is going on and why milk bars can't get greater access? 
Okay, six quick questions. Come yeah, on. and I'll kick off, Corrie. I didn't see Four Corners on Monday night because... Yes, no, television issues. Who won, Steve Bannon or Sarah Ferguson? Oh, it's a line ball. So uh, Steve Bannon, of course, who was former advisor to President Trump, was um, yakking on about, um, I mean, really interesting actually, about populist politics and the way forward and all this sort of stuff. But, but, and he, it was a very sensible, even-handed discussion. Sarah, of course, her usual respectful self, asking penetrating questions. But when we moved from America and Donald Trump to the wider world organisation that he is trying to achieve, which is right-wing politics gone mental, she really sort of picked him up on a few points and he started to get that agitated, what I call that Scott Morrison kind of um, passive-aggressive tone in his voice. And she just kept at him. So uh, points to him because it was an interesting interview. It's actually a fascinating interview. And points to her, but I think in the end we all came out going, go Sarah. And, of course, you know, she's our Sarah. So we're just like, go So Sarah, go. Sarah won the but day. But at the end of it they had the outcuts, Caro. So at the end of it, um, you know, they go cut and they turn to each other and Sarah and, and Steve Bannon complimented her, said, you know, one of the best ever interviews, like great and everything. So, of course, the national proud journal in me, you know, was puffing up my chest, you know. We, we love Sarah Ferguson, don't we? But, well, yeah, do you we remember do, when she came to the shop and there was a line out the door to meet her? They ran the outcuts. They must have been pretty happy with the compliments. <laughs> I think they were happy with the comments. Okay, Caro, so this ongoing story this week, this nanny gate, uh, which now I'm just this morning wake up to the news that Gillan McLaughlin has to, um, you know, appear before a Senate committee. Who has come out of this worst, do you reckon, Peter Dutton or Gillan McLaughlin? Definitely Peter Dutton, because Peter Dutton was the one who continues to do special favours for people who ask. And he might say that he gets asked to do favours all the time, but three glamorous French au pairs, and they are, the ones I've seen are pretty glamorous, uh, all, you know, all holds, all, sorry, no, nothing is, no holds are barred. You know, Peter Dutton was walking onto a plane as the doors were closing, ordering staff to sign papers and do this and send emails and flurry around. And yet, you know, there were... So many, so many, there are sick children on Manus Island who can't get into the country for treatment. I mean, it is an utter disgrace. Don't get me started. It and he could have been disgrace. Prime Minister when this story broke. I Remember know. that. Mind you, Gillan didn't come out of it particularly well. And it all broke on the day that, you know, Ticketek broke down. So he had he did have a very crook day that day last week. But, no excuses. Um, I think the fact that he passed the request on to one of his staff, it's his, Jude Donnelly, who is is his political media sort of go to, I mean, he, he is a consultant. She, what, what's the word? She, he's his staffer who is a conduit. Communications. Between, between, yeah, communications. But she's been between the AFL and government, right. federal government. She used to work for Tony Abbott. He's got amazing political connections. He worked for the Richmond Football Club for a while. It was a very glamorous photo of Jude. And um, I was laughing with our old friend Kevin from Geelong, actually. At Hi, the, Kevin. At the MVP Awards last week about Jude's photo. And we joked that Jude probably provided the headshot. So when I was talking to Jude the other day, she said, well, look, it wasn't a very good shot. I said, you did provide a new shot. She said, look, once my name had been, they, I, once my name had been put out there, the picture they ran was this awful old picture. And I just rang them up and said, look, if you're going to run a picture, can you run a more? She said, I didn't provide it, but I did ask them to change it. Do you remember it. how the Sunday Age used to run your headshot on the front page? It went back to 1989, that beautiful photo that Wayne Ludwig took of you. And yep. it was like 2004 and they were still using it. I know. I'm still. I'm happy if they would still use it. <laughs> anyway, so Gillen went on Neil Mitchell. He took three days to raise his head and talk about it. He didn't really answer the right questions, I didn't think. I mean, I think Neil I think, could have. I think Gillen's got to learn to react quickly. You know, deal with the news story 
at on the moment. Oh, no, shut it, it down, shut it down, shut it down. Shut it down. Shut but it down. but when Neil, when he said I do favours for people all the time, Neil should have said so. If anyone rings you and asks you to help their French, um, it, <laughs> what sort it of favours? Didn't look good. Well, you know, political favours. Yeah, but which I, this I know one that. I'm, I'm I'm posing the rhetorical question. I know, I know. So, what's your latest community activist moment, Corrie? Okay, so I was in the car on the Thursday that the world was imploding in Canberra, and um, I heard a very interesting and articulate backbencher. I think he was from New South Wales um, being interviewed as he was walking in or out of Parliament House and he said, this has been a catastrophe. I've just spoken to my electoral office at home. The phones are running hot. The people of Australia and the people in my electorate are furious and I've got the message and I'm taking it to the party room. So I thought, you know what? So when I pulled over to get some water, I dialed Kelly O'Dwyer's office. My shop is in her electorate. And I rang her thinking, you know, I won't get it. I, was, I got onto a staffer. I said, I'd like to leave a message about what's happening today in Canberra. She said, go ahead. I thought I'd be on some tape. She said, I'm waiting, you know. So I let loose <coughs> in a polite way. And I said, you know, look, I just, um, you know, furious with what's happening. Businesses died. Grassroots level, this has affected us. Anyway, so she said, thanks very much, took my name and all of that. I received an email from Kelly O'Dwyer last week following up saying that this has been a terrible chapter, but we, she hopes we can move forward. Um, da da da, you know, thank you for your support and all of that. So I thought, look, at least I got through. <laughs> Good. So that's what I did. Hey, Caro, what's your favourite Scrabble letter? Am I allowed blank? Or does it have to be a letter? I think it has to be a letter because I was going to say <laughs> S last week, but I chose J. So you have to choose. Yeah, well, no, I mean, it, it's S. Obviously it's S because oh, yeah, you can, but everybody chooses S. Choose well, another one. Well, it's my favourite Scrabble letter. I'm not going to change it because it's popular. If you get an S, you can add to so many different words in your home and home. Okay, what's your second favourite? Oh, X. Oh, yeah, X there's is pretty There's good. a lot you can do with X, and I've, I've won many a game with the old X, I have to say. I have to say. Corey, what's your favourite picture book to read to one-year-olds? Uh, a new one called Lois and Bob. So there are now four in the series, and Hattie's Obsessed. Um, it's by a British company called Nosy Crow who make beautiful children's books and it's a lift the flap. And Lois is a cat and Bob is the budgerigar. And she's always looking for him, a la, you know, Scott, uh, Spot, where's Spot, that sort of thing. Hilarious. Lois and Bob. Well, that's question by way of GLT. And I'll, my good local tip this week is, now we had this conversation on Sunday night with a good friend of ours, Mary. She said, what we need in our life is a bunnies. Remember bunnies on The Young Doctors? Remember bunny was ugly Dave Gray. Remember, what? Remember the Young Doctors, that show, that yes, soap yeah, opera? Yes, yeah, yeah, with Mark Holden. And whenever there was a problem, they'd say, let's go to Bunnies and take it from there. And Bunnies was a local bar run by Ugly Dave Gray. Oh, my God, it he was played Bunny. Yeah, he played Bunny. Oh, you've well, taken me back to 1977 there, Caro. And Mary said, oh, and my mum still occasionally says, let's go to Bunnies and take it from there. Just a solution to any problem. We'll just go to Bunnies. But we don't have a Bunnies. No, we, Do we don't. There are places, there are local bars, there are not really no, no, many no, no, local I really pubs. want to sit in. There are coffee I'll shops. I'll tell you what, if, I, if Ugly Dave Gray was behind the counter, I'd be turning around <laughs> quick sticks. Get out of there. <laughs> Mary, it was Mary who reminded me that Bunny was played by Ugly Dave. Anyway, on Sunday, the kids took Brendan for lunch for Father's Day and we went to this fabulous pub in Fitzroy. Now, I've, I haven't been there for years. Um, it's called the Marquee of Lawn. It's on George Street. Oh God, I think I listened to the Angels there once back Open, in the day. Oh, well, you wouldn't be listening to them now. Open fire on Pogoing the ground floor. around on the floor. Walk up the, the the most beautiful community atmosphere, full of families, full of couples, full of old people, people of all ages. The open fire downstairs and lots of tables in an old bar. Up the stairs, another open fire. 
more tables, up another lot of stairs and a rooftop bar. We didn't make it to the rooftop bar. It was a bit cold. I had the best roast chicken I have had in years. It was 20 bucks. It was bunnies. I mean, I don't live in Fitzroy, but if I did, I would be going there Every well, every time I wanted to catch up with friends because it's got everything. There aren't smart, trendy sofas. There was just a good old fashioned bar, good old no fashioned choy, tables. Choy la, chai, soy the lapis. big open fire, the food. I can't even say it. Everyone, I mean, Brendan sort of had the the fish burger, which was rockling. My roast chicken was incredible. Everybody ordered something different. The food was amazing. The Marquis or the Marquis, the Marquis of Lawn. Well, it, it, it's spelt M A. Uh, Q-U-I-S. Yeah, Marquis of Lawn. Yeah, Marquis of Lawn Hotel, George Street, Fitzroy. There you go. Not as good. It, Ugly Dave wasn't serving the beers, <laughs> but it was very, very good. Hey, Caro, that's the end of this episode. It's so nice to be back. I feel like I haven't seen you for years. God. I know. Well, uh, Yes, and I wasn't even really sure where you were last week. <laughs> I'm so confused by your holidays, but it, I'm hey, glad you Oh, a holiday, three days, but look, it was great. Mini break, and, um, mini break. And, and thanks again to Anna from the Oppie and your husband, Brendan, for um, providing well, him back such a lovely show. Election, yeah, please, can we? Thank you, everyone, for listening. And thanks again to our friends at the Interchange Bench for making the show possible. Remember, the Interchange Bench specialists in temporary staffing and executive contracting call 1800 iBench. And for details of any of the things we've mentioned today, the recipe or the film or whatever, just see the show notes in your podcast app. And you can also join us on Facebook, Twitter, and the Caro and Corey Instagram account. We love hearing your feedback, so let us know your thoughts. And you can email us, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Thanks to everyone who's taken the time to rate and review the show. Like this one from Kathy Biggs. Caro, thanks for the podcast, says Kathy. You've given me some terrific book and screen recommendations. Not into the footy talk usually, but listen in when you explain the background and the issues. Thanks, Kathy. That's so nice. Caro, have a lovely rest of the week. And what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger, Corrie. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is made possible by The Interchange Bench. The Interchange Bench provides first-class temporary and contract talent. So when you need to get your team back in the game, call on The Interchange Bench. They provide temporary staffing, executive contracting, casual workforce management and volume recruitment from finance, events, communications, digital to office support at all levels. Someone sick or resigned? Expanding the company. Just call 1-800-I-BENCH or see interchangebench.com.au for talent so good you'd wish you can keep them.